everyone, I'm Sinhara and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm Skyping in TJ Payton, author of Semen Secrets, A Wife's Journey Through Male Infertility. College Sweethearts. Okay, so I'm here with TJ Payton. Uh, she is a writer, and uh, we're just going to jump into um, to really how her story started. So she met her husband in college. They were college sweethearts. Um, and I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, talk about how she met him and how she saw their future. So um, thank you so much for having me kind of talk about uh, our story. We actually have known each other since we uh, were five years old. Um, we grew up in the same church together. I mean, it was in high school where uh, our senior year where we uh, started dating. Um, and then when we started dating, we didn't know we were going to the same place where we were going to college and ended up, you know, going to college in the same place. Um, and so that's how we stayed together and got married. So it, it was nice to not only, you know, marry someone you've grown up with, but you were able to develop a friendship and then, of course, a relationship that's been strong uh, ever since. So that's how we met. So you guys actually knew each other since you were five years old. Yes. Um, so after <laughs> after you guys got married, or I guess when you guys were getting married, did you think, okay, we're going to start a family right away? Because I forget, I don't recall if you said you got married when you were young, uh, really young, but did you uh, think you're going to start a family right away? Or was it just like, oh, I'm married, let's just enjoy each other? Um, what was that conversation like before you actually walked down the aisle? What was your plan? Um, the plan was, you know, to spend some time to enjoy one another. I definitely wanted to have my kid, all of my kids before I was 33. Um, we got married in our early 20s, so we had time to make a plan to have kids and to start a family. So we definitely wanted to enjoy marriage. Now that's what everybody says. You should enjoy marriage before you introduce kids because once you introduce kids, uh, then your life kind of shifts and changes. So we really wanted to make sure we had a solid marriage before we introduced children into our family. Fear and fibroids. So let's talk about um, fibroids. I'm not sure if um, fibroids runs in your family, but you mentioned um, being diagnosed at one point with fibroids and how that fear played into, um, you know, what you saw for yourself becoming a mom and how it played into your marriage. So I, I had cysts and fibroids. Well, I started with cysts when I was 14 years old, and that led me to have to get on birth control in order to try to control and suppress the cysts. And when we got married and we said we wanted to start a family, when that time came, I stopped getting on the birth control pills because, of course, you know, you want to clean out your body and you don't need that suppression. Well, about a year after I stopped the birth control pills, the cysts and the fibroids came back and they came back aggressive um, to the point where I had two surgeries in order to uh, try to remove the cysts that were causing and the fibroids that were causing me the most problems. And we do have fibroids in our run in our family. My mom had them very bad. 
that uh, she had a hysterectomy, but she was done having kids. Uh, so for me, it's not something that I wanted to risk not being able to start a family by having a, you know, a hysterectomy, but sometimes the pain is so unbearable that I would go to my doctor and say, just take everything out. I don't want anything <laughs> because uh, it, it was such a struggle. And so my fear was that uh, if I got pregnant and I wasn't on birth control, fibroids would grow, cysts would grow, and they may interfere with the pregnancy or the baby, um, the baby not having enough space. So that was a constant fear that was in my mind. And it was a fear that I thought when we weren't getting pregnant, well, this is the issue. This has to be the issue why we can't have a baby. It's not me, but I'm grieving. So you go through the whole process of dealing with fibroids and you have your two surgeries and you're fearing, you know, my God, like this is me, you know, I'm the reason why we may not be able to have children or I'm the reason why we're having difficulty having children. At what point did the table sort of turn where you found out that your husband actually had an issue? So we went to the doctor because I was getting frustrated. It had been a couple of, at least two years, a year and a half, two years, and I had not gotten pregnant. So I'm just thinking, well, it's me. What do I need to do? And so I set up an appointment with my doctor for my husband and I to go. So the doctor said, oh, it's fine. You know, it takes a couple, you know, at least a year to get pregnant, maybe longer. So don't worry. Uh, and in terms of my labs and just my prognosis, Oh, I was fine. There was nothing wrong. But the doctor said, you know, just to check it out, maybe your husband should get checked. And so my husband's looking like, well, I don't feel like I have a problem. And, I, you know, everything's working fine with me. But, you know, still, you just want to make sure you check all the boxes. So reluctantly, he went ahead and had a semen analysis done. And so I'll never forget, I was uh, working from home and uh, the nurse called back with the semen analysis results. And so I was hoping she was going to say, you know, a few million. Uh, but she said, you know, we didn't find anything. And I said, oh, you didn't find any problems. Like, I, I knew there wasn't an issue. She was like, no, we didn't find any sperm. And so it's like somebody punched me, like punched me in my stomach. I could not, I couldn't catch my breath. And I asked over and over again, and she gave me the same response. So that's when we found out that he was not producing any sperm. Wow. And then from the male perspective, how do you feel that he, well, I feel like men are always reluctant to go to the doctor anyway, but especially when it comes down to this issue that, you know, they kind of drag their feet. But even once he agreed to do it, um, and then he found out the results. How do you feel he dealt with it? Just from you being his wife, how do you feel like he was dealing with the emotions of, you know, feeling like, you know, oh, my God, like, I'm the one who is the problem now? Uh, I watched him go through the stages of grief. It's kind of strange. You watch somebody die in front of you. Uh, the person that was bright and always had an answer for everything, you watch them kind of fade away in terms of just feeling like, you know, we are not going to be able to start a family. The issue is him and also knowing that carrying the weight that he knows that I want to have children as well. So he went from the, you know, passive aggressiveness. Well, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, we went through a stage of, well, I'm just going to divorce you so you can go 
with someone else who can give you what you need. He went through his own self-destructiveness in terms of, you know, not wanting to work out, you know, not wanting to do anything uh, because, you know, it, it affected his manhood. Essentially, he could not have children. Um, and definitely when you talk about infertility in the African-American community, you know, having a baby is what you do. Like, you have, you're not shooting blanks. Exactly. So to watch him go through that. And at the time, I was selfish. I was only thinking about myself. So part of me saw his grief and his pain, but I was also trying to reconcile my own pain as well. So it's the struggle between trying to support my husband and trying to make him feel like, you know, I didn't marry you just for you to have a baby with me but also dealing with my own grief that I'm never going to be a mom. You know, I don't know what that's going to be like. And so those two things created a perfect storm in our marriage in terms of just not being able to connect and communicate with one another about what was going on and having to deal with pain separately, but finding a way to coexist, knowing that we both are upset at each other. Putting my husband first. So let's talk about that a little bit further. You were breaking down the stages of grief and some of the grief that your husband was going through. For you personally, you mentioned on our call before this about, you know, going to prayer groups and allowing yourself to grieve and then eventually putting your husband first. Uh, Can you just talk about that and talk about the steps you went through and how you came to your conclusion that, you know, I'm going to put my husband first? Um, So I'm a journaler. So uh, I journal about everything. So I started writing down my feelings um, and and praying. I knew that even though my husband did not want to take tell anyone. So that was the secret. Um, you know, I don't want to tell anyone that we can't have kids. It's my issue. Um, but I knew that for me, I couldn't just deal with it in solitude. So I uh, have friends. I didn't necessarily go to a prayer group. But I have friends that are the people that you know can get a prayer through. Um, There are some people who say they can pray, but these are the people where I know if God is talking to somebody, they'll hang up, he'll hang up the phone and take their call because they can get a prayer through. Mm -hmm. So I confided in those individuals because I needed somebody to pray for me because I was weak. I needed somebody that was going to pick up the phone when I was crying at one or two o'clock in the morning, you know, struggling with, um, you know, being angry at God for this situation and putting my marriage in this situation and my husband in this situation. So those were the people who kept it honest with me, who would pray with me, but who would also not allow me to be down on myself. And through that and journaling, that's where I started finding my solitude. Uh, I think it was later on in our process, maybe about uh, three years in where I started reconciling that through prayer that I was putting my baby before my husband and I didn't even have a child. And of course, you know, when you follow the biblical nature of marriage, your husband is always supposed to be first. And I'm putting something first that's not even here that I don't even think I can have. Um, So it was at that point where I realized that I need to change something in me. And we then went to the doctor and the doctor uh, wanted to put him on testosterone. Uh, we tried this the natural method because the natural method would ensure that we could still have kids. But I knew that once he got on synthetic testosterone, that would kind of destroy all opportunities for us to have kids, kids naturally. 
but I realized I was making him sick. He was getting weaker. He was gaining more weight uh, because his testosterone was low. And I was essentially killing my husband for something that at the end of the day, when our child get, gets older, I will still have him. So what are you going to put first? And so that's when I decided that, you know what, I need to focus on my husband and making him better. Because if all the world falls apart, that's still going to be the person that's going to be by my side. So I need to make sure that I focus on him. Birth of a book. And so all the pain and all the things you had to go through wasn't in vain because through that you birthed a book and the book really was about, you know, your experience and in your husband's experience and how people and family related to it. So can you talk about your book and talk about the name of it, which I love the name of your book. I would just talk about it and how you got the courage to, and how your husband also had the courage to, you know, agree to put this out there. So my book, Semen Secrets, um, it's like my baby uh, in a sense. Uh, I got the idea about writing the book because in looking for information about infertility, there was nothing on male infertility, definitely nothing for African-Americans, but infertility in general. Most of the fertility focused on the woman. And I was not infertile. It was my husband. So all of the support groups were for women who were dealing with infertility. Um, the very few dealt with men and very few dealt with people such as wives or girlfriends who have partners and husbands that are infertile, how do you help support your husband? So there was nothing for me. Um, I had one person in my life that had had a, a infertility experience where it was both her and her husband that had the issue. And she was the one person I confided in. And, you know, she encouraged me. She said, you know, why don't you just write about it? If there's nothing else that you have, then why don't you create something? So I started looking at the pages of my journal and thinking, you know what, Maybe I should write a book. So I started writing the book, but then I would stop because I struggled with going back in my journal and rereading my pain. It's like reliving it all over again. Um, and I wanted an ending. And I wanted to be able to say, in the end, we had a baby. And we didn't. So I struggled with finishing the book because I was still holding out on the hope that I would finish the book and I would have a child at the end to say, ta-da! Here it is. Uh, but but I never did. Um, in terms of my husband, he's still accepting that the book is out there. But, you know, he encouraged me to go ahead. And if this is something that I have my heart set on and I want to do and put the story out there, then he would support me in doing that. Um, and because there's no space for male infertility, not a lot of spaces out there for it. And there's somebody else that needs to hear our story, needs to hear our struggle through marriage, needs to hear our faith, um, and needs to hear that sometimes you have to just come to terms with there's nothing you can do about what you're facing that is out of your control and that whatever happens will happen. And you just have to find a way to accept it within yourself um, for the sake of your marriage. And I think something else you mentioned that was so important uh, was that you said a relative had called um, basically to say, you know, they hoped that you were okay, alluding to the fact that you were the problem and still didn't know that your husband was one actually with the fertility issue. But you said your husband was brave enough to tell that person 
you know, actually it's me. Right. And just what was that conversation like on the other end? Did the person, you know, back down on the conversation or did they become more inquisitive? More inquisitive, more questions. Like, really, you know, well, what was the issue? Because no one no had ever, this person, particular person, not that he had never heard of it, but it just was, man, I never knew someone that was dealing with it enough for me to talk to that person. So, uh, of course, you know, you go through a series of, uh, you know, my apologies, my bad, I didn't mean it that way, but it was an opportunity for my husband to educate. Um, And I think it was therapeutic for my husband as well, because it's not something he likes to talk about. Um, It's not a subject that he wants to divulge because it's him. It's personal. Uh, But I think it gave him an opportunity to really share know his own struggle and hopefully it'll become more therapeutic um, as he develops his own courage to share his story on his own uh, outside of just us sharing it in the book but it was a little weird because I was not expecting him to chime in and say well it wasn't her and I'm okay you know with being with falling on my store because most people think it's me anyway but for him to take that courage and take that leap of faith to say, you know, no, I'm going to face this with somebody that I know so I can, you know, demystify that it's just you that has the problem. I really appreciated and respected him for that, um, not leaving me out there hanging for people to think, well, you know, why, why don't you work? Um, and I, I, I respected him for that a great deal. I am chosen. No, I think so often, you know, we wait, you know, even in my situation, we wait to put our stories out there because like you said, you know, we're waiting on that success. We're waiting on that, you know, big reveal to say, oh yeah, I went through X, Y, and Z, but look now, you know, and so we hold off on sharing our story. Uh, But what I love so much about, you know, things that you share with me was that, you know, you, you were chosen and not just chosen to share your story, but also chosen because throughout this whole process, you have become a mom. And so can you just talk about that journey and how you became a mom and how you feel like you were living out your purpose to help other people? Sure. Um, So after I finished writing the book, we still didn't have any, you know, any idea that we would become parents. Uh, We decided to just move forward with life. Like you have to live. You can't let infertility stop you. But um, I said at the end of my book, I, I never give up hope uh, that one day I will be a mom, um, that one day he will be a dad and we will be parents. Shortly after I finished the book, um, we decided to revisit adoption because, of course, you know, dealing with infertility, you look at IVF, you look at surrogacy, you look at sperm donation, uh, you look at um, people adopting eggs. Uh, And we tried adoption through the state once before and got denied because of them wanting us to do a two-minute fire drill and having all these rules and stipulations that no human person could ever uh, accomplish. And that's why, you know, there's so many kids at the state now that need adoption, but they make you jump through so many hoops. But we decided to look into private adoption And we were skeptical at first because, of course, you know, birth mother expenses and people taking advantage of you. And uh, if it doesn't work out, then you lose all your money. 
But the individual that I had been talking to through this whole process for years had used a particular attorney to find and help with their adoption, and they have adopted children. And that particular attorney reached out and said, hey, we have a baby. Do you know someone who wants a baby? And so long story short, I my prayer to God was that if I was to have a baby and we were to have a baby, it would be effortless. I wouldn't have to think about it. And the process definitely was a effortless process to uh, adopt our, 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 our child. And, you know, I think it was emotional for me because I never gave up hope, but I was okay and I had accepted if I was never a mom, I had to deal with that. So it was so refreshing to know that um, God does not, had not forgotten about me. Um, the one thing I tell people is that God didn't waste my tears. He did not waste them on anything. He saw my tears. He heard what I was asking and it was just in his own time period, not mine. And I think it made my book stronger because had I had an ending, it would have been cliche. Well, I have a baby and it doesn't end like that for everybody. Exactly. So I want to make sure that I put out a story where, hey, you know, I didn't know I was going to have a child at all. And I had accepted the fact that I wouldn't. So, you know, to have a child now is the added bonus. And you feel chosen. You feel chosen right. by God to be a right. mom and to have gone through this, you know, effortless process in terms of the adoption. Right. And I, I think when you say chosen, it, it's so key. Um, my husband and I were talking and, you know, it's one thing for you to birth a child, you know, that God chose you for this child. But it's another thing in adoption where not only did God choose you, but another mother who carried this baby for nine months chose you as well. So to feel like two people chose you and a, a person who only viewed what 10 pages of your uh, personal profile and looked at pictures and said, I want that couple to have parenting over my child forever and ever. That's huge. Um, that's something that's inexplainable. And I, I don't know what it's like to birth my own child, but the uh, idea that somebody thought so much of you to give you something that they hold so dear um, is something that's humbling and it makes you really reflect and think about all the things that you thought you did wrong, that you did right for somebody to say, you know, I choose you. So I, I you know, that's something that I will always be grateful for, for, for the birth mom um, to, to pick us. Tips and advice. So what advice do you have for other women um, who are going through the same thing or whose, uh, whose spouses have, and fertility issues and maybe, you know, they're kind of stuck, you know, what do I do or their marriage is falling apart? Can you um, just give some advice uh, to women out there and also let people know where they can purchase your book? So my advice would be to put your husband first because he's grieving and he's dealing with a lot and men don't grieve the same as women. It was shocking to me when my husband said, you know, he even thought about taking his own life at one time because he was so upset and so emotional about not being able to give me what I wanted. And oftentimes as women, we definitely want to have a baby. We definitely want to be moms, but we also have to think about the person that we took a vow with and the vow didn't come with for better or for worse, or if I have a child. You know, maybe for some people it did, but in our vows, that's not what it said. 
So um, I would say for couples and also get counseling, talk to someone about it because the grief is real. Um, and you go in and out of the stages of grief. Sometimes you're happy. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you're going to cry. And it's okay to grieve and to mourn. It's a process that you have to do in order to get to a place where you start developing an acceptance. Not to say that you don't hope or you still don't want to, but you have to get to a place where you can talk about it, where somebody can talk to you about it, and where you have an outlet when you do get weak, that you can talk to someone and someone can sew into your marriage and sew into your husband the way that you can't because you can't fix it. I think some women are fixers. I know I try to be a fixer, but you can't fix it. Uh, you have to seek help uh, and don't be afraid to seek help. And it's okay to say that I'm angry. It's okay to say that I'm upset. It's okay to say that I'm sad, but it's where you put that anger and that sadness and that frustration that makes all of the difference. So you definitely want to make sure that you have places and spaces, sharing on blogs, joining groups, talking to other people, getting in a community um, where you can get support because you're going to need it definitely in dealing with male infertility. Um, in terms of my book, it's available on Amazon and Kindle. So you can go on Amazon and type in Semen Secrets and uh, purchase the book online. Um, you can also go to www.semensecrets.com uh, to learn more about my book. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at TJ Payton on Instagram. So I would love to follow you and for you to follow me and we can commune together and build this community and this support around our men who are dealing with uh, male infertility because it's definitely a topic that needs to be discussed definitely in the black community and we really need to stop making this so taboo because there's so many people out there are dealing with it and we need to start really supporting one another in the struggle i'm sanhara eastman and thank you for listening to the black girl's guide to fertility podcast you can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidedofertility.com or on sanharaeastman.com. And be sure to go to my Black Girls Guide to Fertility channel on YouTube and check out my web series. <laughs>